Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. It's, uh, I've, I've been away for a few weeks. I uh, was sick one week, and you had the blessing of having my friend and our fellow um, church member, Ernie, speak a couple of weeks ago. And last week, I had the gift of being with our folks up at North Chatham. So there's a lot of new faces here. So for those who I haven't seen in a long time or for those who I've never seen, uh, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Jaime. I'm one of the pastors at Chatham Community Church. And uh, I'm glad y'all are here this morning. And if you happen to be one of those people that I've never seen, never met, you've never met me, or it's been a really long time since we saw each other, uh, I'd love to say hi to you after the service and uh, hear a little bit more about you, how you found us, uh, and what your experience was like this morning. So I'm going to be in the back under the exit sign. Come say hi before you head on out. And if you haven't received one of our welcome gifts, make sure you get those. Uh, It's our opportunity not just to bless you uh, as someone who's come to our church, but to bless local businesses who, uh, who, from whom we purchase the stuff in those welcome bags. So make sure you come by and say hi, or at the very least, come by and get your gift. I will not be upset if you come by and say, I don't really want to say hi, I just want the gift. That's okay. You can do that. I will not be upset at all. But I'm glad you're here this morning. Um, there's a novel called My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry, and it's written by Frederick Bachman. It tells the story of a young girl named Elsa. She is seven seven years old, and she is a little bit quirky and having a rough go of it in childhood. And her closest relationship, her closest friendship, is with her equally quirky grandmother, Granny. Uh, And Granny dies early in the novel. That's not really a spoiler. It happens very quickly in the novel. But Granny dies. And as she's extremely close to Granny, and as Granny is her closest friend, when Granny dies, Elsa is unmoored. And things just start feeling like they are getting worse and worse, and she is feeling more and more isolated and lonely. That is until she finds out that Granny has left behind a series of of letters for her to deliver to people in the community, to neighbors that she knows. Now, uh, the the process of delivering uh, these letters is an adventure for Elsa, and it does a whole lot for her. I'm not going to spoil it because it's the central plot of the story, but one of the things that's remarkable or that's interesting or striking about the process of delivering these letters is that with each letter comes an apology from Granny for something that she had done to the people receiving these letters, something that she, some wrong that she had committed against them, hence the title of the book. Now, some of these wrongs that Granny is apologizing for date back decades, and even though she maintained relationship with most of the people who are receiving these letters, those relationships were complicated. Now, It's good that these apologies were offered. It's good that Granny made sure that even after she passed, these messages got to these people. But I can't help but feel a little bit sad about all the years it took to make these apologies because you can't help but wonder what could have been different in these relationships had these apologies been offered immediately, had these apologies been offered maybe a year earlier maybe two years earlier, maybe three years earlier, maybe a decade earlier. You you can't help but think what was lost in all the time that these apologies were not made. And in thinking about that, I can't help but wonder. 
I can't help but wonder that if I knew that my time on this earth was coming to a close, I can't help but wonder how many letters I would have to write. How many letters I would have to put together. How many might you have to put together if you knew that your time was near? How long would our list be if we took a moment to tally up all the people that we haven't apologized to or all the people that we haven't forgiven, all the relationships that we've let remain broken? And thinking about that, it feels, it feels weighty, doesn't it? Part of why it feels weighty is because the cost of that delay is that opportunities have been lost. Opportunities have been squandered. See, every name on our lists, if we were to put one together, every name on our lists is a series of lost opportunities. Every day that's passed that we've withheld forgiveness or every day that's passed that we've withheld apologizing is a series of lost opportunities. It costs us in our relationships to people and it costs us in the health of our soul. Uh, I've been sharing over the last few weeks pieces of advice that I've received over the years that have helped me and others who've received these pieces of advice thrive in our lives, particularly in our lives as it relates to our connection to God. These words of advice have sharpened me. They've honed me. And I'm sharing them with us. And my hope is that, if, that, that as many of us apply these words of advice, we'll become honed as well. And just like a knife that's honed can cut like it was made to, my hope is that as we apply these words, we can live the lives that we were made to live. And today I want to share a piece of advice that's made a tremendous difference in the quality of my relationships, the health of my relationships, and the quality and health of my connection to God. You may have heard this before. A piece of advice I received is keep short accounts. Keep short accounts to take every opportunity to keep that list, that list of people, as close to zero as possible. But let's ground this in Scripture. If you have a Bible, we're going to be reading from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. If you don't have a Bible or don't have access to an app with a Bible, it's going to be on the screen in just a second. And if you don't own a Bible and want one, we can remedy that. At the end of the service, come see me and we'll make sure to get you a Bible. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It is one of the four accounts we have of Jesus' life. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be in the fifth chapter of Matthew 5, and we're going to start reading it in just a moment. Here we go. You've heard, it's, you've heard that it was said to people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in the danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering uh, your gift at the altar and remember that your brother or sister is something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid 
the last penny. Now, these words are spoken by Jesus, and they are part of what's known as his Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus lays out his teaching, the message he's going to be communicating, the message he's going to be embodying, and the message he's going to invite people to live and embrace and embody as well. And this passage is part of a section where he's talking about what it really means to fulfill the law. And the law was this, was, was this thing that told people how to live according to God's will. And so Jesus is communicating how to live in agreement to God's will. Basically, how to best love God and how to best love others, which are the two great commandments. And here, he's specifically focusing on how we relate to each other, how we relate to other people. He's specifically focusing on how we love our neighbors, how we love others. And part of what he's saying in this passage and in the series of passages that follow it is that you can follow the law to the letter. You can follow the letter of the law, but miss the heart of the law. You can miss the spirit of the law. You can miss the intent of the law. And in this case, he's saying you could follow the letter of the law, do not murder, but you could still fail at loving your neighbor. You could fail at loving the people around you. Now, the extreme form of this is the one he uses. He uses the extreme form, murder, violence. It is the ultimate severing of our connection to other people, the ultimate act of, act of rebellion to the command to love others. But he's saying that that ultimate severing is not the, last step, is not the first step. It's actually the last in a series of steps. And he's saying that the first step, where it all starts, is in the heart. It's what we feel towards other people and what we think about other people. See, severed connections usually start with a fraying in the heart. Severed connections to others usually start with a fraying of the heart. We can have thoughts about people. We can have feelings towards other people that devalue them as people made in the image and likeness of God, people loved by God, people of worth and value in the eyes of God. And when we do that, we stop being able to see them as God sees them. And if we're not seeing them as God sees them, then what we're seeing are caricatures, we're seeing not the people who God made, but the people who we've imagined them to be, who we fashion them to be. Now, Jesus knows that for most of us, this won't evolve into physical violence, which is the extreme example that he gives, but it may still come out in unhelpful ways. He gives the example of words that are directed at others. One of the places that I noticed this happen to me, that I noticed uh, the, the caricaturizing of people play out in the things I say or the things I think or the things I believe about people, is it comes out when I'm driving. It comes out when I'm driving and it comes out where someone cuts me off. And I uh, am creative in the degree and level and, uh, and, and, and quality of the words that I can string together to describe the people who are cutting me off. And I noticed that I was caricaturizing people one day when someone cut me off and as I started to say all the things that I believe to be true about this person, I realized, oh, I know that person. <laughs> 
And all of a sudden, those words didn't fit because this person was someone I knew to be made in the image of God, someone that I love, someone that I could assume had just had a bad moment, maybe had gotten distracted, maybe hadn't noticed I was there. But the thing is, that's true of everyone. That could be true of everyone that cuts me off. It could be true of everyone who makes a mistake while driving. And what's certainly true is that each and every one of them is made in the image of God, but it's so easy to create caricatures, to devalue them, to let things in our hearts and in our minds fray our connection to others. It can happen with strangers, but it can happen with people we know as well. When we build caricatures of people, when we direct our animosity towards those caricatures, we break our connection to the real person. When we direct our animosity towards those caricatures of people, we break our connection to the real person. And this is what Jesus gets at when he talks about saying raka or calling people fools. Friends, the adding of names to those lists of people that we talked about earlier starts in the heart. It has its origin in what we think and what we feel towards others. So right now, I want you to take a moment and take stock of the thoughts you're having about certain people or the feelings you're having towards certain people and assess if there are places where you may have created caricatures where you may be failing to recognize and acknowledge that these people are made in the image of God and they are loved by him and they have value. Friends, the keeping of short accounts starts with what's in our hearts and what's in our thoughts. So assess whether there are places where you need to shorten the list, where you need to address those places where the account is getting long. Now, let me clarify uh, that I'm not talking about excusing negative behavior. And I'm not talking about pretending that people who've wronged us haven't. I'm talking about maintaining a loving disposition towards people even in the midst of harmful actions or of hurtful behavior or of being wrong. See, when we love, we may still need to set up boundaries. When we love, we may still need to call for justice or the righting of behavior that was wrong, but we can do so not out of a sense of vindictiveness, not out of a sense of retribution, but out of the true sense that those things, the justice, the boundaries are ultimately good for us and for the people we direct them to or set them up Four, they're good for all involved. Don't let the thoughts and feelings that are born from something other than love calcify you, blind you from seeing people around you as Jesus does. Because when we let that happen, it's inevitable that it will play out in the things that we say, the way we behave, and the actions we partake in. And what happens is we end up building walls around us, building walls between us and others. We end up cutting ourselves off from genuine connection and the opportunity of restoring genuine connection. We end up somewhat like this grumpy bricklayer. Look at that guy. We weren't made to be like that. We weren't made for that kind of... Now, if you're a bricklayer, that, I'm not talking about being bricklayers. Brick, being a bricklayer is fine. 
But being the type of person who grumpily sets up barriers between yourself and others, that's not the life we were made to live. And frankly, I don't think that's the life any of us want to live. That feels like an exhausting kind of life. And it's one of the things that Jesus came to remedy through his life, through his death, through his resurrection. One of the things that the scriptures teach us that Jesus did is that he tore down the dividing walls of hostility between us. The walls that we erect to keep us separated from others are one of the things that Jesus came to remedy. Jesus came to remedy. He came to make a way for there to be peace. He came to make it so that these types of walls are unnecessary. And Jesus gives two examples to illustrate what happens when we let things accumulate, when we let things accrue, when we let the list grow, when we let the wall stand up. And the first is in the context of worship. And he brings up this example and he says, this person is just about to to do an act of devotion, an act of genuine praise to God, to do something good for God. And while this person is there, they realize that they have a wall up with someone. And Jesus says, immediately go take care of that. It's almost like he's saying that it is so important that God can wait. Well, maybe that's what he's saying. But I think more precisely what he's illustrating is that when we let accounts accumulate, when we let the list grow, we don't just create barriers between us and others. We create a barrier between us and God. You can't build those types of walls with other people without building a wall or a type of wall between you and God as well. We create barriers between us and God as well. See, the idea of loving God and loving others is not a first do one and then you get to do the other kind of deal. There is a connection between the two. There is an interdependence. One feeds the other. If we can't love the people we can see, how can we love the God that we can't? When we keep short accounts, when we don't let our lists grow, we love like God loves. We love like God loves, and we grow in our love of God and our connection to him as we maintain healthy connections to others. So again, I want to invite you to take stock and assess if there are places where you feel a bit of a distance between you and God where you're puzzled as to why that is, I wonder if perhaps it's a sign of an account that you've let accrue, a name that's remained on your list for too long, a name it's time to address. One of the dangers in not keeping short accounts, in letting accounts accumulate and last, is that it can often lead to tragic situations One of the classic examples, I'd say an even extreme example of how bad it can get is the Hatfield-McCoy feud. You may not have heard of this, but the Hatfield-McCoy feud is legendary. It's one of those things that I wouldn't believe was true if it hadn't been so well documented. These were two families, the Hatfields and the McCoys, that live in the West Virginia, Kentucky area that engaged in a family feud that lasted decades. It lasted more than 30 years. Now, when it started is disputed. There is a line of argument that said it started with the death of one of the McCoys uh, towards the end of the Civil War, but that death was never uh, completely attributed to one of the Hatfields. 
What people tend to point to as the fuse that lit the powder keg was a dispute connected to the ownership of two Razorback hogs. Two Razorback hogs. Who owned two Razorback hogs? Was it a Hatfield or was it a McCoy? There was a disagreement about that and they couldn't settle it. And years passed. And by the end of the feud, years later, more than a dozen people had lost their lives as a result of the feud. Many had gone to jail. Lives had taken a turn they were never meant to. People's whole lives took a path that they had never intended to. All because they couldn't settle the accounts of who owned those Razorback hogs or what we do about that. Things just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And people lost their lives. And people lost what could have been a good quality of life. All because they let things accrue. All because they let things accrue. It's the point Jesus makes in his last example of the passage. Where he says, settle the account before you get to a judge or things might turn out worse. Friends, unsettled accounts accrue interests. Unsettled accounts accrue interests, and those interests need to be paid somehow. Things have a way of snowballing. And it's not just that there could be an escalation, but that there's always a cost to missing out on what could have been had the account been settled, what could have been had the name been taken off the list, what could have been had forgiveness been offered, what could have been had we apologized, what could have been if things had been made right. It always costs us peace. It always costs us health. It always costs us maturity. It always costs us in the quality of our relationship with God. It is so much better, so freeing to keep short accounts about the wrongs we commit and the wrongs that are committed against us. Friends, let's keep short accounts. Let's apologize quickly. Let's forgive quickly. Let's offer grace and understanding quickly. Let's own our part in making it right quickly. Don't let the interests accumulate. I don't know which one of these are for you. But whatever it is, take steps today to shorten your list. Take steps today to keep your accounts short. Now, I want to I remind us. You don't have time to go into this in depth. But I want to remind us that, that restored relationships and restored trust are neither promised nor required in the idea of keeping short accounts. We can apologize and forgive. Let me put this in the same. We can forgive without having the person restored to the type of relationship they had with us before. We can forgive without giving them the same level of trust that they betrayed. And we can still keep short accounts because we free ourselves of our end of the thing, of the weight that bears on our soul. And friends, when we apologize, it is not guaranteed that we will be restored to the same type of relationship. It is not promised that we will be given the same kind of trust. Trust is earned. And earning trust takes time. And earning back trust takes even longer. Takes even longer. But we have done our part to end the fraying. We have done our part 
to make the peace. We have done our part to settle the account. Now, for the most part, when we talk about keeping short accounts, which is what I'm inviting us to do this morning, we usually refer to correcting mistakes or offering forgiveness or apologizing. But I want to expand the meaning of what it means to keep short accounts just a little bit. When I first became a supervisor, when I first started supervising people, a book that was helpful to me, I didn't think it would be helpful to me, but it ended up being very helpful to me, is the book, The One Minute Manager. And part of why I didn't think it would be helpful to me is because that title is tacky. And so is that cover. And I know they say don't judge books by their cover. I may not judge people by their cover, but I judge books by their cover all the time. I don't have time to waste on books that don't look appealing. But someone recommended this book, and I read it. And the book presents three things that you can do as a manager or as a leader that make a world of difference in your effectiveness. And each of them can and should be done very quickly, right? Hence the one-minute uh, phrase in the title. Um, and, uh, and each one should be done promptly. Now, one of them has to do with the stuff we've already talked about or is connected, right? They call it the one-minute reprimand. I find that too, too harsh, so I call it the one-minute redirect. And that's when you see someone do something or perform in a way they shouldn't, and you just immediately intervene and, and redirect and correct and offer them encouragement to move forward, to do it the correct way. But there's another one-minute thing that is incredibly good, and that is the one-minute praise, and that one I just found incredibly fun as a leader, right? It was this idea, right? Like you'd be out there and you could catch people doing something right. And then as soon as you could, you'd pull them aside and you'd tell them what you saw. You'd tell them why it was good and you'd encourage them to continue to do it, right? It makes a difference in someone's professional development when their leader keeps short accounts on praise, on affirmation, and on gratitude for the work that they do. And I'd argue that this is true also outside of the professional sphere. And I believe that the Bible communicates this uh, as well. Here's what it says in Ephesians 4.29. It says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but here's the talk that you should let come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, all the things that we've talked about already, apologizing, forgiving, making things right, owning your part, all of those can flow from this, right? All of this about keeping short accounts can flow from this. But, but, so can affirmation. So can encouragement. So can gratitude. And I know it doesn't say here to do it quickly, but here's what I'd argue. If you have something that could build someone up, if you have something that they need to hear, if you have something that could benefit someone else, why would you keep it to yourself? Why would you withhold it? Why would you keep them from having that which could help them grow? Now, I know that there are some instances where it may be strategic, where it may be prudent to delay offering a word of affirmation or a word of encouragement or a word of gratitude. But I think for the most part, it is much better to also keep short accounts here, to keep short accounts on affirmation, on encouragement, and on gratitude. 
it will make a difference in people's lives. I know it because it's made a difference in my life. It was early on in my graduate school career, and I was in a class that was an advanced communication class, right? It probably is no surprise that I love communication, and so I took a number of classes focused on communication. And I was in an, an advanced class, and we were a small group of students and a prof, and, and part of the class would we'd give feedback to each other. We would critique, so to speak, our communication efforts, and I was probably the youngest guy in the group and was probably the least experienced, and so I was a little hesitant, but I was trying to engage, and one day as I was giving feedback, the professor stopped everything, looked at me, and he said, you're good at this. You know that, right? I didn't. I didn't. No one, I'd never been in this type of setting. No one had ever told me that, but that statement that was given right there, quickly, in the moment when it was happening, changed the course of my life. It's the reason why part of what I love doing now is not just communicating, but helping other people become good communicators. It's why I love coaching and training communicators. It's why I've had the gift of walking alongside people as they improved in their preaching, as they improved in their public speaking, as they improved in their written communication, as they improved in giving announcements and casting vision. I have found, sorry, I have thrived. I have found joy every time I see someone talk with me, get coaching with me, get feedback with me, and get all the better. I love that. It has made a difference in my life because someone took one minute to keep a short account on encouragement, affirmation, or gratitude. You've probably had some of those instances as well. Maybe you've been one of the ones giving it. I want to encourage you to continue to make that a part of your life to not just keep short accounts on the things that are hurtful or harmful, but to keep short accounts on the things that are life-giving, that are renewing, that are affirming, and are encouraging. And as we wrap up today, I want to give you two phrases to keep in mind as you apply this concept of keeping short accounts. One is useful to shorten the list, and one is useful to keep it short. So this week, and in the weeks to come, when it comes to apologizing, to forgiving, to reconciling, to offering grace, to making things right, to offering encouragement, to offering affirmation, to offering gratitude. First things first, it's always better late than never. It's always better late than never. But moving forward, it's best today, lest it not happen ever. Don't wait until tomorrow. Do it today. Do it as quickly as you're able. Give people what they need to hear and also free, give, give yourself the type of freedom that comes from keeping short accounts. I'm going to pray for us and I'm going to invite the worship team to join me on stage. And as I'm praying, I want you to ask the Lord to bring to mind the first person or the first people that you need to address in light of this sermon. The first people who are on your list and then commit with God to engage with them this week, maybe even today. Let me pray. God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you model for us keeping short accounts. When you forgive us, the scripture tells us that our sins are put away from us as far as the east is from the west. It is as if, as if they never happened. 
I'm grateful that when we need encouragement, when we need affirmation, you remind us of your love. You are consistent with your mercy and your grace. Lord, you give us what we need. Lord, may we be the kind of people who love others as you love, who forgive readily, who apologize quickly, who own our part and make things right, who are generous with our affirmation, who say thank you and offer gratitude in a timely manner, and who encourage others to live the kind of lives that you've called them to live. Lord, I can't imagine what difference that would make in our families, in our schools, in our workplace, and in Chatham County. But I can't wait to see it come to reality as we keep our list short, as we keep short accounts. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.